Here we go. This is the Piffles Podcast, your premier Saskatchewan Rough Riders podcast. And we are missing our opening song because we are putting about as much effort into this show as the Riders put in on Labor Day against the Bombers. My name is Alex. And I'm back. Who are, are you? you? I'm also Steve. Oh, hey. And not saying your name is my gimmick. Uh, this is gimmick infringement. Uh, I I am. Uh, anyone know a good lawyer? I know lawyers. I don't know how good they are. Anyway, Piffles Podcast brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Check them out on Skip the Dishes. I was looking at the Twitter line that I have written in the lineup, and that's I was like, that's not right. We're not brought to you by Twitter. Probably get a lot we more work, money. We have a lot more money. <laughs> you can check us out. On Twitter, at PifflesPod, you can give me a follow at RealAlexD. I guess you can follow me at Zappamod. And do not be one of the 14 followers that are keeping me away from 1,000. Just stop. One of these days, you're going to get there, so you can just shut up about it. <laughs> one of these days, I will. I'll, I'll follow him back just to help him out. Yeah, and it's Greg on Sports. But don't follow check me us out. Check us out on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash PifflesPodcast. And, of course, the website, PifflesPodcast.com. Greg, you're going to be so happy. There's no sound effects. Let's get to the opening kickoff. Tweet, tweet, tweet. And then, <laughs> uh, I, I like that. that. Let's, go with, let's go with that one from now on. <laughs> we do have so, it recorded now. <laughs> so the Riders get crushed in the Labor Day Classic. 23 to 8. I know it's a, only a 15-point spread, but, man, that it felt like a lot more than 15 points. The Bombers just came into Taylor, Fe- Taylor Field. Wow. That was the last time they won a Labor Day. It was back in Taylor Field. The Bombers came into Mosaic Stadium, punched the Riders in the mouth. The Riders had no response at all for anything the Bombers did. And it just looked way too much like that playoff game from 2019, guys. The, the plus side is the Riders' defense didn't look out of it. They kept Harrison check. Other than a couple deep balls, I didn't think Claros showed that much, but you could tell all game the Riders just didn't didn't have it. Like if they were gonna win it, it was gonna be one of those magic miracles at the end where they they score on a play that they probably shouldn't have. Like Cody didn't seem to be finding his receivers at all. And the ones he did couldn't hang on to it. It was and then no running game yet again, so I, I don't know what the offense was looking like. Defense, though, I wasn't too disappointed in. And Willie said it before the game that the Riders hadn't played a team quite like that this season yet. They hadn't faced a D-line remotely close to what Winnipeg brings. Like That, that D-line is 10 steps above everybody else in the CFL right now. And and they showed it on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Like the, Cody had no time all game long. He was under pressure from start to finish. He was making mistakes because of that pressure. What do you even say? That offense was just out of sync all game. Well, we'll talk about the defense a little bit later on, just in terms of adjustments but and then personnel issues that are showing up here in, in practice this week. But, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Greg. The defense didn't really look too badly out of place. A couple perfectly placed balls by Zach Claros that, or pass to Drew Wolitarski and then the next throw with uh, AC Leonard in his face, that touchdown to Nick Dembski. Man, that was just a 
that was a big boy throw. That was that was money. There's no way you could have defended that any better than the Riders had, other than getting there a split second earlier. That was just a fantastic throw by Caleros, catch by Dembski. But uh, I mean, the defense held him in there the whole game, and then they just the last two two catches just did him in, and that was it. But that offense, Cody Fajardo couldn't hit a deep ball, couldn't hit anything, had no time to throw a deep ball. And that's where we're missing Shaq Evans the most is we're missing that deep threat where you can throw a guy one-on-one on the outside and just chuck it up and he's going to go make a play. The Riders don't have that guy right now. And that's massive against the Winnipeg defense. And we saw that on Sunday. And what's, what's scary to me so far this year is when we do get a guy in behind coverage, Cody's missing them every time. There has been multiple times this year where we had a, a deep guy open and we had it on Sunday. Kyran Moore uh, got deep on a, on a double move, wide open, nobody near him, and Cody was five yards in front of him. It, it seems like that deep ball just isn't there for him yet this year. Maybe he was throwing to Shaq's speed, I don't know, but he's just not, he's not there. And it's a I different wonder- game if they make that, uh, make that catch. One of the stats coming out this weekend, I think the Riders are four for four for twenty on balls over twenty yards right now. Like that, you you cannot win a game in the CFL if you have no deep game. Like you need to move the ball down the field, and we aren't getting any of that. Well, you mentioned lack of a run game again. That's just straight up. There was no run game, no attempt to do it when the week before Winnipeg got exposed by Toronto, who ran the ball down their throats. And that's something I think we'll see a lot more this week in the Banjo Bowl is actually giving the ball to William Powell because that, that's how you're going to have to keep that D-line from just pinning their ears back and coming at you, which is what they did all game long. We'll talk about adjustments here in a little bit. Um, but this this offense, it was a dink and dunk offense. It kind of has been all season, but Cody just had no time. He was bound to have a bad game. It happened here at the worst possible time at Labor Day on almost guaranteed win night. And uh, maybe we, <laughs> maybe that was our fault because we picked the riders on what we assumed was guaranteed win night because it seems like it always is on Labor Day, but oh well. But can we talk talk about Powell for a second? Is it scheme or has he lost a step? He's just not in that line as hard as he was in 2019. I think it's a bit of both. I think it's Jason Moss who doesn't typically run the ball very much with his with his running backs. Like I mean, they he was the OC in Ottawa when Powell had a good year there, but he he's a he's a quarterback man. He he knows all the pass plays and wants to do passing, and that is the team's strength. But they're gonna have to start running the ball at some point. Maybe that year off hurt Powell more than it did anybody else. Well, with Morrow back on the kick return, I thought for sure in that second half when Powell couldn't get anything going, I thought they might even give Morrow a shot, but they didn't even – they lined him up a few times, but they didn't give him the ball. Like, I, at some point, I thought they were going to try something because they had to do something to get that offense going. And you know what you say is you say he wasn't great. I I think the problem is he's not seeing the ball enough to get that opportunity. He he was uh, eight rushes for 45 yards, 44, 45, something like that. Like he he was averaging over five yards a carry. They just weren't giving him any looks. 
it, that's that's a huge problem, and that's been the problem throughout this season so far. We've just been able to to win in spite of it. You you have to at some point use Powell mo- way more than they have. Well, Riders will get their chance at revenge at the Banjo Bowl. Um, a couple uh, lineup notes before that game, and uh, we're seeing Ed Ganey and Lucius Purifoy questionable for this game. Craig Dickinson says they're about 50-50 to play. They didn't practice the first, I guess, day and a half for practice, and then they they both shut it down a little bit early on Thursday at practice. So if one of them is out, that's not good. If both of them are out, whew, that makes my pick later on in the show for who wins this game a hell of a lot easier. I think it's pretty easy now based on uh, the way the game was played last week. It's... Uh, spoiler alert, it's going to be hard to pick the Riders right now uh, against Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Uh, but, yeah, no, losing Ganey and Purifoid, that is going to put a massive hole on that back end of that defense. Uh, hopefully, though, our defensive line can be fully healthy or uh, and hopefully we can uh, get through it. But, yeah, if both of those guys are out, it's a pretty easy decision to make. Right, right now, I know Micah is. They said he's gearing towards playing. So if you get him back, that's a win. But you lose two stud defensive backs and are putting guys off the practice roster in their place. That's that's not good. Not well, good brought, at all. It was brought up Thursday after practice when uh, Coach Dickinson talked to the media. AC Leonard wasn't out there, and we don't know if he's actually going to play or not. Apparently, he had an incident after the game after the Labor Day game. They didn't say what it was. And all Craig Dickinson said was that it's a league issue. It's not a team issue. It's a league issue. And that it should be, he should play. But we should find out, I guess, Friday when the depth chart is out. So that leads me, like, what what kind of incident is this? Is this a, a breaking COVID protocol incident, maybe, that the league is investigating in and seeing whether he has to get suspended or whatever. I have no idea. Is this, you know, something that's legal? Who knows what's going on? So I'm curious to see what happens with that and if he's able to actually play this weekend and what the long-term effects are of whatever this happens to be. So that's going to be really interesting to see on Friday. I'm leaning towards it not being a COVID thing because they've been pretty quick to come out and say, so-and-so broke COVID protocol. We saw it in Hamilton. We saw it in Edmonton. I, that it feels like the whole situation just feels strange to me, but hopefully he can go and we find out more about why he can't, if he can't. I'm really surprised that more hasn't come out about this. Usually, usually with the CFL, the stuff gets out pretty quickly on what it is. There's no secrets usually. So I'm certain. Especially here in Saskatchewan. Oh, it's, yeah, in the fishbowl, everyone knows. and So I'm I'm very shocked that the Morinco hasn't uh, kind of just filtered its way out there. But And uh, one more quick note before we uh, move on here. Just, did, <laughs> I don't want to say that the Riders made the wrong choice by shipping away Zach Claros, but that guy just doesn't seem to lose with Winnipeg. And that's two straight games, the Riders, at home, in big games, Labor Day and the West Final, that they have not scored a touchdown against this Winnipeg Blue Bombers team. 
and Zach Kalaros has looked pretty damn good in both those games. I, like I said, I'm not saying that they made the wrong, the right, wrong decision here because I truly believe that Cody Fajardo is the right guy to lead this team, but just something about facing Winnipeg that just they just don't show up for. I, I'm 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 not concerned about Zach Kolaros as much as I'm more pissed that we don't have a um oh God, I'm drawing a blank on names now. Um Richie Hall defense. That Richie Hall defense always comes to play against the Riders. Always. Um because Richie Hall's a great defensive coach. Zach Kolaros yeah, he, he's looking good right now, but the Riders made the right move based on his injury history. They had no idea what they were dealing with. And when Cody became a hot hand, you couldn't keep Zach around. They did the best thing they could by trying to get at least some assets for Zach, or they were going to have to cut him anyway. So it just sucks you end up in Winnipeg. Well, that's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal Page Regina Realty. We'll talk about the Banjo Bowl in just a little bit. Time now for the Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Just a couple other things about the uh, the Labor Day games this past week. Edmonton goes into Calgary and pretty much dominates the entire game. And Trevor Harris throwing for almost 400 yards, four touchdowns, hitting the deep ball. They were that looked like the offense that I expected out of Edmonton the whole year. And my question is: Is Edmonton back? Well, then you got to well, add in they just signed Derek Moncrief too. As, as much as we hate to talk about that. Well, sidebar, let's actually talk about that for a second, really quick. Um, do we have to? Why, why? Yes. Why do you think he chose Edmonton over Saskatchewan, who were rolling with three brand-new linebackers this year? Unfamiliar to the they made him the highest-paid linebacker in the yeah. league? It's all about <laughs> money. So I'm I'm curious, is this something that maybe the Riders got in their own way here by lowballing him? Do you guys think that was a potential thing because hey you get to play here in Saskatchewan so therefore take twenty thousand dollars less I I don't know if they lowball them they probably gave an offer they thought was fair especially considering any you, you got to think that J.O. is sitting on some cash just in case they can get uh, Labatt to come back for the remainder of the year because let's face it a lot of the reasons why uh, Cody has no time is because that offensive line and they're trying to minimize the time he has it in his hand. So that would be a great addition back. Um, but I don't know. I think the Riders thought they made a decent offer and the Elks just drove a Brinks truck to, to his place and said, okay, come here. Sometimes that's football. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have him back in Ryder Green, but we can't sign everybody. We're not the Toronto Argonauts. I wonder if maybe the Riders <laughs> tried to make it a, a year-and-a-half type contract and Edmonton said, no, no, we'll let you go at the end of the year. And the Riders wanted something a little bit more long-term to, to give him the money he wanted. You, you hate to see him sign in the other, the other shade of green, but, I mean, it's good to have a guy like that back in the CFL too. Okay, anyway, I got you distracted there, Steve. So Edmonton, they uh, look like they're back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely look like they're uh, suddenly a team that might contend for uh, for the West. Maybe not the top, you know, a home playoff game, but they might be fighting for that uh, that home semifinal. Well, 
I guess they look better coming off a of bye week than the Riders do. But uh, I don't know. Like Cal- Calgary is. T- let's face it, Calgary's taking that slide. We I think we can finally say Calgary's finally taking that slide back that we've all been praying for for how many seasons. I won't say that until after much. October. They've just <laughs> lost too much, and they're too young of a team without the vets that they are typically used to having. So yeah, so you've got a team that's not playing up to where everyone thinks they should be. So and Edmonton has a good team; they just couldn't get their crap together. They had an extra week off to get get healthy, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> in more ways than one. I they're bound to have a a good game. Like James Waller Jr. is a hell of a running back and he showed what he can do in that game. I are the Elks back? Sure. Uh, I just think they had a really good game. We'll see what they can bring in the weeks to come. And it sounds like Bo Levi Mitchell is getting all the starter reps for the Stamps this week and that's panic time. That's all that says to me is that a guy coming off a broken leg from three weeks ago, four weeks ago, whatever it was, that's racing them back pretty damn fast, and that just tells me they're in absolute panic mode right now. And the worst part is, it's not the quarterback's not the problem. Mayer's been playing really well. Yeah, he's been playing good. He's the first quarterback so I, in CFL history to throw for 300 yards in his first three games. That's incredible. Take that, Ryan Dinwiddie. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he? Dinwiddie had like 400 in his first two starts, I think. So, not including the Grey Cup, but the next year in 2008. But I, I don't, yeah, I don't get why the Russian bully my back. It's not the quarterback's not the issue. But I don't know. I guess if they think he's going to give a better chance to win, they'll do whatever it takes. Because if they keep on sliding any further, they're definitely not making the playoffs. And I would be a okay with that. You're going to be hard pressed to find somebody in Saskatchewan not okay with that. The <laughs> other, uh, the other Labor Day game. I just want to talk about here is Hamilton, Toronto. Of course, that the score flattered Toronto with a couple of late scores, but with Hamilton, back-to-back wins with Dane Evans. This is clearly his team now, right? Well, I think it's obvious Mazzoli's injured, and they're just not saying anything about it because he's not—he didn't even—he's not even on the lineup this week. Like, obviously, there's something going on there too. Like Watford is the backup behind Evans, so I I don't know well, what's going on. Well, he got hurt in their uh, game here against Saskatchewan in week oh, two. Yeah. It was a, a rib injury. I guess it's worse than they were saying because yeah, he's not he's not even in the lineup. Watford's in, so <sighs> I don't know. Uh, it's yeah, Mazzoli didn't look good no matter what, even before the injury. So um, Evans is the right player right now. There's your Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. Let's get to our Piffles memories. There's not one game. I'm changing it up a little bit. We'll save uh, the game that was going to be reminisced about for for next show. But I just want to talk about Banjo Bowls and uh, some of your guys' favorite memories because obviously we're not going this year with the bus that we normally put together. I know, Steve, you're uh, a little bit happy about not having the stress of putting that whole thing together, but I know it's all worth it because it's so much fun. I'm not happy now because right about now is when all the work is done and I'm just getting getting excited to hop on the bus. <laughs> yeah, so I'll definitely be missing that. But from the Banjo Bowls you guys have been to, what have been your favorite Banjo Bowl memories? I can pretty much guarantee I know Greg's favorite memory, but I'll let him go first. 
I think I know. No, what, you tell me. What, what do you think mine is? I'm guaranteeing you're probably right. I I'm thinking when the uh, Bombers fans booed Matt Nichols uh, during oh, the during, during the I'm PSA gonna, 2018. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? A cancer one? It was a cancer p- public service announcement, and their and fans the Bombers booed fans him. are booing him. He, was, he already got pulled from the game, but the minute they saw him on the screen giving this heartfelt cancer PSA, they booed the living crap out of him. It was amazing. Well, he learned his lesson. Don't throw two pick sixes in the banjo bowl, I guess. <laughs> Long ones, too. I, I, was... I will say they definitely gained their uh, loudest stadium-assisted fans uh, uh, moniker on that one. So, <laughs> Steve? You know, you know what? I, I honestly remember very few actual games. My favorite part about banjo bowl is the actual – experience hopping on the bus going to tailgate with uh, with all the the crew from uh, from winnipeg ted and reaper and and his wife and that whole crew and just enjoying the the rivalry that you don't see when you go to any other stadium it's just it's just a hate fest but it's not for like three solid hours it's it's amazing i i love that game it's my favorite game on the calendar that's not home and it's it sucks that uh, that we won't be there this year, but uh, hopefully the Ryder fans that do make the trip uh, bring the noise level for us. I love the Banjo Bowl, and it's absolutely my favorite game of the year. That's including home games. This game is just fantastic. Everything about it, it's it's their version of the Labor Day game, obviously, but I think it just gets taken to that next level with because there's more Ryder fans there than there is Bomber fans here for Labor Day. It's just a little bit more of a mix in the crowd, and I just think that adds to it. But you got the Rum Hut at IG Field. I'm going to miss ShawarmaCon, because you guys know my love for ShawarmaCon. So I'm going to miss getting that once or twice throughout the game. Um, but I've been to quite a few Banjo Bowls. I didn't go to the first one. I went to the second one back in, what was it, 2005. And that was when, uh, if you guys all remember, Karsten Bailey had the game-winning touchdown for the Riders, Mr. MTV, Karsten Bailey. And we were there in 07 when Matt Dominguez uh, tore his ACL. That was uh, really kind of crappy. But we were there for the uh, Michael Bishop 2008 comeback where he threw three long touchdowns to Jerron Walker, Vincent Marshall, and Weston Dressler. We, uh, I also love the – remember Sandro DeAngelis winning in 2012 with a game-winning field goal? Bet you guys only remembered Sandra DeAngelis was on the Riders. Like once, a, but, no, I do. Wait, once a rider, always a rider, man. <laughs> but the funny thing great, about that great game, rough rider, great rough rider kicker, Sandra DeAngelis. <laughs> the funny thing about that game is Winnipeg was up by one point with under a minute left, and they were on the Riders' 35-yard line. Instead of kicking the field goal to go up by four points, forcing the Riders to score a touchdown to win, they decided to punt it to try and pin them deep. The ball goes through the end zone, single point. Riders are now down by two with time on the clock. They got a couple plays down in midfield, plus like a 15-yard penalty from, I think, a face mask or a pass interference, whatever it was. And then Sandra Sandra DeAngelis, with no time on the clock, kicks a 40-yarder, whatever, to win that game. So that was a wild one. And, I mean, I've seen my share of losses. Teams like 2019, the last one, We as much fun as we had, and setting the bus up and tailgating and everything. We were watching Bianca Andrescu win the U.S. Open 
on our phone yeah. because that game was so terrible. The Riders were down like 31 nothing at the half or whatever it was. And we were just but like, yeah, whatever. Stop, yeah, we don't care. And then, uh, yeah, so maybe the, <laughs> some of the Rider fans at the Banjo Bowl this year might be doing the same thing, watching Leila Fernandez in the in the U.S. Open final if uh, <laughs> this game gets out of hand too. But, yeah, man, I the Banjo Bowl is my absolute favorite. There's just the, the chirping back and forth, but nothing too serious, obviously. And it's just a lot of fun. We meet some great, great people, great Bomber fans out there. The amount of rider fans that make the track just make it so much better. And it's truly the, my favorite CFL game of the season. So next week when we do the show, we'll go back to a one individual game. But with the amount of bus trips and everything I've done to the Banjo Bowl, there's just too many there to uh, to single out and mention. But it's just a fantastic experience. So if you're heading out to the game there on Sunday or Saturday, Sorry, have a great time, guys, and uh, make sure you send me a shawarma selfie in front of uh, ShawarmaCon because I need to live vicariously through you guys. And as we go from that, let's talk about the Banjo Bowl game itself. What do you guys think that the O-line or the offense in general is going to have to do to stop this Bombers defense and actually score a touchdown against these guys? Because now... When you date back to the Banjo Bowl in 2019, they've only scored one touchdown against his defense in three of the last four games they've played them. They're going to have to get creative. Uh, they're actually going to have to push the field, which means if you got to bring in some extra protection for uh, Cody, do it. At this point, you've got to be able to push the field and make the Bombers' defense respect the deep ball. Because if not, all they're going to do – is press your receivers, and then you're not going to get those five-yard outs anyway. Um, change it up. Get, like we already talked about, we need a rushing game too. Like These short passes work well against Ottawa, but they're not going to work against Winnipeg. Well, you need to, you need to get the running game involved if only to keep uh, Jeff Coate and Jefferson honest, because if they know you're passing 95% of the time, they're just going to pin their ears back and go. And why wouldn't you? The one thing that needs to change from last week is the the players need to be uh, more disciplined, especially the the ridiculous offsides on the offensive, like on the receivers. There's no excuse for that. You can't be doing that. It happened three times, and I know two of them for sure brought back first downs. And when the the way the way we were playing, we couldn't afford to lose any first downs, let alone multiple. And dropped passes, same thing. Ricardo Lewis dropped one for uh, a guaranteed first down when we finally started moving the ball. You have to play smart, error-free football. That's the only way you're going to win a game like this. And stop roughing the kicker, okay? Like, jeez. Oh, I, I was going to say, and make sure you pay the rest before the game. <laughs> what a joke that was. My God. Uh, that, like, I am not one to blame a game on the officiating, and don't get me wrong, the Riders were not really in that game, but that is one of the worst officiating games I've ever seen. It was so bad that Steve in our private chat automatically blamed his favorite uh, uh, official, even though he had nothing to do with it. So, somewhere Al. Al Bradbury was involved with that one. Yeah, and then you look at the next day, Calgary-Edmonton, Al Bradbury doing that game, and that was penalties galore too until he got hurt on the uh, – following the fumble or whatever it was. So he hurt his hamstring. He was taken out for the rest of the game. And then there was more flags. So, like, they didn't skip a beat without him. But, my 
God, just way too many penalties in the CFL. It's and it's ticky tacky stuff. Like just like almost get to the point where the regular season should be like the playoffs. If it's a re- if it's a legitimate penalty, call it. But if it's like yeah, that could be a penalty, no, don't call it. Put the whistles away like the NHL, and unless it's a blatant penalty, don't call it. But it just – it was such a circus, that game. Like, there's replays that made no sense. And then you're – then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the replay official, eye in the sky, interjects themselves and, like, wipes out a Winnipeg penalty, and there's no explanation. They just move the ball up and go, and everyone's like, what the hell just happened here? Yeah, the, like, the missed the missed offside, or they – they threw the flag for offside, and didn't we uh, we stopped them that play? Or no, we, yeah. they would have went back yeah. five yards and said they gained fifteen and put themselves in field goal range. And yeah. out of nowhere, eye in the sky, ah, there was an offside. But apparently, reviews showed there definitely was. No, no. If you watch that, he timed it perfectly. Did they and get plus, it right? In the CFL, they got it right. But also in the CFL, what a lot of people forget, and I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. Remember watching Chad Owens? He was so quick off that line. He looked like he was offside one full yard the entire time. But if you're doing your waggle and you're running up to the line, they give you a one-yard grace. If you're in that one-yard buffer zone, one, the ball is snapped, you're good. They will not call it. So if you go based off that and just how that timing was just perfect on by their slot back there when the ball just started moving, it was timed perfectly. So they actually did get it right. It was just such a pain in the ass that it, was not a penalty, and then it was a penalty, and then not a penalty, and then no, it wasn't announced, right? So it was just all of a sudden, oh, yeah, there is no penalty. First down, Winnipeg. What? Like, there was no explanation given whatsoever. And I think that's the real frustrating part is that there's no explanation. It's just, yeah, yeah here it is. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. It was just confu- it was just massive confusion. That play made no sense. Like, they called the penalty, marched it back. The next thing you know, they're marching it back up 20 yards. And it was like, what the hell just happened here? Because at that point, Valesi needs to get on the microphone and explain to the crowd the eye in the sky got involved, and this is what it is. But they just moved it up and went, and everyone was scratching their heads. But back to that roughing the kicker penalty, has there been a worse call in the CFL? Like, I don't think I've ever seen anything I don't that. Know. Yeah, I don't what, know. What's funny, a- what's funny about that call is – they could have called for uh, a blocking penalty because I can't remember which which rider player gave the kicker a little a little shoulder, the lightest shoulder I think you'll ever see as he was running by him. But he was still behind the line of scrimmage, and players behind the line of scrimmage on a a kick do get that that buffer zone. They cannot be blocked until they cross the line of scrimmage or the ball is caught. But it was not roughing the kicker, and that's where that's where the problem was. Had they called it correctly, it could have actually been a penalty. It would have been a stupid one, but by the rule, it could have been called. And for as the record, if there's, ever, the there's ever, if there's ever a stupid penalty, the default answer is McKenna Henry because it definitely was McKenna Henry. <laughs> and I mean, if you get a, as, as a defensive player, if you get a free shot at the kicker running down the field, almost every player takes it because why oh, yeah. not? I just, I just find it funny. He kicks, sets his foot down, runs three steps. Falls over like he got shot, <laughs> and also the flag comes out. I'm like, is this what what happened? Well, and, and the funny part was, as that play was happening, pe- there were people on Twitter complaining. If Ryder fans argue about the refing after this game, yeah, they they should they should shut up because we we got away with the 
the roughing the, the passer play was it one oh, or two crazy. plays before yeah, that? Replay. Yeah. By rule was a was roughing the passer, but that's one of those. That's not the type of call that you're trying to overturn with. No. With an with an instant replay, you're trying to get those egregious calls, like you know, overturning a roughing the kicker that was not. But it's just funny to see it back to back. And I even replied to somebody who said, you know, you can't mock or you can't. Ryder fans can't say anything about refing after this game. And as soon as that roughing the kicker happened, I go, you sure about that? Like, pretty sure we can talk now, too. <laughs> well, my, my favorite thing about this entire thing, like, debate earlier in the year when Cody got took that shot to the head and they're looking at, like, from a million different angles and, like, no, Cody was a runner at that point. And then, meanwhile, you got a kicker who's, like, three steps in, like, obviously going to try to go block downfield or make a play downfield, and he falls over and out comes the flag. I'm like, what the hell? I'd rather protect the uh, quarterbacks and the kickers at this point. But, oh, well. CFL officiating, always fun. Yeah, so stay disciplined and um, go, like Steve said, run the ball. Put a sixth lineman out there and a fullback. Like, go double tights. Double team Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffco. Just run the ball. You got to do something to protect Cody. And even if you do bring him extra protection, you got to give him time because if he's able to move around a little bit and extend the play by five seconds, then he can find the open receiver. But unless you're not giving him time, like we're going to see the same thing that we saw in the Labor Day game and it's not going to be pretty for Cody Fajardo. So just contain that D line because they're, the rest of their defense is beatable, but that D-line is just, they're, they're full of monsters, and you can't let them get going, because if you do, it's game over. Now, on the other side, is there anything that the defense, like we talked about the defense already, that we thought they played pretty well. Is there anything that they can do to, uh, I guess, take that next step and, and maybe change the game, other than getting a pick six or something like that? Get healthy yeah, Mike quick. Johnson back. <laughs> Don't um, be forced to go with two practice roster guys. That'd be nice. Um, no, Micah Johnson, like I, I tweeted out early in that game, like, and to be fair, I said Mac, uh, Mac Henry is not Micah, uh, Micah Johnson. He's not, but he did play a lot better after that tweet came out. But Micah Johnson definitely makes a difference on the defensive line. Like, Claro's – like, they didn't have to worry about double-teaming anybody, so Claro's had a ton of time. I think we got, what, what one sack this game? And and it was barely a sack if I – but I don't know. Like, we need, we need a healthy Micah Johnson. We need a healthy secondary. I think the we need to get pressure on Zach Claro's because right now if you let him sit back there, even, even a little bit of a window, he's going to find his receivers. Yeah, Caleros is the kind of guy you have to be in his face as much as humanly possible. The more you get in his face, the quicker he gets rattled, and the quicker he gets rattled, the, the better things are going to go for your team. And Micah Johnson being back would be really the only thing that needs to happen to to help improve that defense. I wish it were that simple because ever since he started playing games for the Bombers, he's had pressure in his face, and Zach Caleros has made big-time throw after big-time throw. So you got to give him props for that. He's playing fantastic football, and they need to do something to disrupt that. Get your get the hands in the way, get your arms up, and just hit him, even if it's 
slightly late, not to the point where it's a, a 15 yard penalty, but just make sure you hit them, let them know that you're there. If they can do that, then they'll have a better success rate. So let's get into the CFL pick'em for pretty much rematch week. We'll start off again the Battle of Ontario, Hamilton in Toronto on Friday night. Guys, who do you have with this one? Toronto. <laughs> oh god, I want to pick Toronto too, but I was I thought I was gonna be the outlier. Uh uh screw uh, Hamilton doesn't have uh banks, so I'm going Toronto. But they haven't really had him all year either. He, he's that been quiet true. this year. I'm going with I'm still, I still like I'm going with Hamilton. This is Dane Evans' team. He looks he's moving the ball a lot better than Jeremiah Mozzoli was. That offense just seems to run better with him at the helm. And that defense, they were playing pretty damn good on Monday in the Labor Day game, and I think they'll get get going again this week. Banjo Bowl, triple header Saturday, nine hours of CFL football. Um, Riders at Winnipeg. I don't want to say it. I said I was going to pick against them every game this year. Uh, Screw it. Riders Riders in the upset. I can't see this going well for our guys, especially if Purifoy and Ganey are out. I, I hate it, and I'll hate myself for it, but Winnipeg. I think it's going to be a lot closer than Labor Day was because I think that score flattered the Riders a little bit when you consider they got out, they got shut out in the second half and only scored eight points in the first half. That this will be a closer game. The Riders are seven and nine in banjo bowls. Like it's, it's literally a toss up. It seems like it's a a coin flip every single year. I still got to go with Winnipeg this, this year. It's just they're looking too damn good right now. And I don't think the Riders have the, have the horses to match up with them right now. Battle of Alberta, Calgary at Edmonton. I feel like we haven't agreed yet, but I'm pretty sure we're going to agree on this one. Uh, Edmonton on route. Yeah, Edmonton. Edmonton, but I think it'll be close. And finally, the uh, the late game that everyone's going to tune out of, <laughs> Ottawa at BC. Blowout, right? To be fair, this is the game you everyone's going to tune out on anyway. It doesn't matter if it was first or last. Um, yeah, it's BC by a lot. If Ottawa wins another game this year, I'll be surprised. Dominic Davis getting the start for the Red Blacks. And I, <laughs> for some stupid reason, I just want to pick them. I have no idea why, even though I said before the season started they won't win one game. And then after they won their one game, I said they wouldn't win a second game. I kind of want to pick them. I just have this weird feeling that on any given Saturday night, the, the chips are down. It's a bad team, but they actually scored some points with Dominic Davis against Montreal. So it gives me a little bit of hope for them. Here's why this is not going to go well for Ottawa. One, it's Ottawa. Two, it's Ottawa. Three, it's all the way in BC and it's a late game. So that's never good for the East. And four, it's dominant. It's Dom Davis who was supposed to be the savior in 2019 and the team got worse. So how is Sonny, is he the savior now? Yeah, he's, he's, he's better than Nichols, but I'm pretty sure I'm better than Matt Nichols at this point. I don't know. Dominic Davis put up 44 on the riders last year. So, I mean, there's a, there's something we don't talk about there. that. <laughs> no. And, yeah. and Rocky Bowl won Labor Day. What's your point? 
Um, Greg, you, you missed one thing about that game. Um, five. It's Ottawa. Um, uh, yeah, BC, but I really, I reserve the right to change that pick because I really think Ottawa is going to pull some surprises in this one. You're going to wait till after the game to change that pick? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Smart gambler. <laughs> can, we, can we do that with Bodog to maybe actually make some money for charity? Let's do that. See, if, <laughs> send him a message. See if they'll uh, they'll they'll buy that. But it should be a good uh, Saturday of football, especially <laughs> three games. The Riders, of course, doing that first game against Winnipeg in the Banjo Bowl. Always looking forward to that one. But uh, that's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, pifflespodcast.com. Check us out on Twitter, at pifflespod. And, of course, the website, pifflespodcast.com. Piffles Podcast is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. And special thanks as well to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support, making this show possible. Piffles Podcast is a proud member of the CFPN, the Canadian Football Podcast Network, and a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I think since we don't have any odd or any sounds or anything with us this week, we have to sing the song, don't we? I'll leave Ghost that up to you guys. I, 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 sing, I, sing it, I sing it every time we go out. I just edit it out. Okay. Well, this well, is now's your chance your to shine. Yeah, this is Ghost Behind Your Mind by Tyler Gilbert and uh, Greg and Alex. The ghost behind, the ghost behind your mind your okay, anyway, that's is enough. waiting for you. Any listener that we did have before has now tuned out. Sorry about well, that. I, I, I'm sure they tuned out after my great opening kickoff. <laughs>